All right, good morning. Oh my goodness. Good morning, church. All right. All right, good morning to those of you here, and then also um, good morning to those of you who are with us online. I want to thank you guys for joining us this morning for church, for service here at Coastline. All right, one, um, one thing that I want to share with you guys real quick, just a friendly reminder to mark your calendars to make June 13th a priority. And so if there was one Sunday that I beg you to come, I, I, I don't beg you guys, I don't plead with you guys, but if there's one Sunday that I would beg you guys to mark on your calendars, it would be Sunday, June 13th. Um, there's flyers over in the back, and if you go onto our social media page, you guys will see the information there as well, but I beg you guys, mark that in your calendars. It's our dedication Sunday, where we are going to spend that Sunday and our time together dedicating this space that the Lord's given us to Him, you know, kind of in a sense giving it back to Him and saying, God, whatever you want to do with this space, with this location that you've called us to, we are open to it. You know, we're, we're all for it. And so mark your calendars for that Sunday. And then there's been a bit of a change on the menu. And so I mentioned to you guys last week that if um, the goodness of God didn't motivate you guys to put that on your calendars, that hopefully tacos would, well, there's been a change on the menu. All right, the change on the menu, and I hope, I hope this motivates you um, just as much as tacos do, is ribs and tri-tip. Ribs and tri-tip. Okay, so I pray that that would give you that little bit of a spiritual nudge um, to, to put that on your calendar, okay? So ribs and tri-tip will be served after service as well. All right, so mark your calendars. Um, come, bring your family, and also invite someone to join us that morning. All right, if you have your Bibles, would you go with me over to Second Peter chapters 1 and chapter 3? Second Peter chapter 1, Second Peter chapter 3. If you're taking notes this morning, you can title this morning's message, Growing in Knowledge. Growing in Knowledge. Let's start in chapter 3 this morning. Take a look at verse 18 with me, and then we'll pray. It says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and God, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us and gathering us together this morning. Lord, we thank you for this space, God, that you've provided for us to be able to have service. Lord, we thank you for the worship team that you gave us this morning to lead us in worship. And God, now we thank you for this moment that we have to sit and receive your word. We pray that you would take this passage, God, that you would take this theme, this topic of growing in knowledge. And God, I pray this morning that you would go after our hearts. Lord, not only would it pique our minds, but Father, I pray more importantly that it would interest our hearts, that our heart would desire to know you. 
that our heart would desire to draw closer to you. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you. And God, I pray, Lord, as we continue to talk about growing, that growing would be in our heart, that it would be a theme of our life. And so, Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. If you haven't been with us, let me give you a quick recap. We are in the midst, right smack in the middle of a series that we're calling Let's Grow. So far, we spent two weeks ago talking about just the basics of growing. We talked about trees and growing and, and the strength that's found within a palm tree to weather storms. We talked about the trees over in Lebanon, the redwoods over in Northern California, and how they're solid, they're steadfast and movable. Last week, if you were with us, we talked specifically about growing in grace, growing in the grace that God provides to us moment by moment, season and by season. So last week, the emphasis was on grace. This morning, if you're taking notes, the emphasis is on knowledge. Now, jump with me over to chapter 1 now. And so chapter 3 says, grow in grace and knowledge. But when we jump over to chapter 1, there's something else I want you to notice. We see the themes of grace and knowledge come up again. It says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, and I'm going to read it to you guys out of the New Living Translation. I love the way it reads. It says, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So we see in our text that we are to grow in our knowledge of God the Father and Jesus, who is God the Son. Now, according to verse 2, there are two motivations for growing in our knowledge of God. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you guys to write this down. According to verse 2, there are two motivations for growing in our knowledge of God. There at the beginning of verse 2, it says, May God give you more and more grace so that you can grow in your knowledge of God. So the first motivation that we see to grow in knowing God is that we receive more and more grace as we get to know him. But we talked about that last week. This morning, just for a moment, I want to talk about the second motivation that verse 2 describes. It says, may we grow more and more in grace and peace. And so the more and more is not only applicable to grace, but growing more and more is also applicable to peace. So literally, the second motivation that we should have in growing in our knowledge of God is more and more peace. For a moment, I want to focus on this, this topic of more and more peace. And specifically the question, how does knowing God more lead us to having more peace? Would you consider that question for a moment? How does knowing God more? So I throw myself into God. I dedicate myself into really wanting to know God. How does that pursuit lead to more peace? You see, when we understand 
the depths of God's love, the riches of his love toward us, our minds, our spirits begin to rest. You see, I understand, man, God loves me. But I, I, it's not only God loves me, but the magnitude in which God loves me. All of a sudden, that knowledge of God's love for me hits my mind. It hits my heart. And all of a sudden, all the chaos, all the things going on in my life, all the things that I freak out about, worry about, that I'm concerned about, all the areas that are heavy, that knowledge of God's love penetrating my mind, penetrating my heart, all of a sudden it brings rest. That, that, that knowledge brings wisdom. That, that knowledge allows me to rest in his love. I rest in his wisdom. I rest in his power. And then all of a sudden, it, unlock, it begins to unlock other scriptures, other places in God's word. Let me give you a quick example. We all know the verse, Romans 8, 28, right? That God works all things together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. Well, what does that look like on a practical level? Well, as I'm getting to know God, and that knowledge penetrates my mind, it penetrates my heart, I come to know his power, his love, his wisdom. All of a sudden, it allows me to rest in one of his promises. And so God says a promise like Romans 8.28 and says, man, rest in this. Whatever you're going through, I'm going to somehow make it all work together for good. He says, rest in this. He says, there's chaos in your life. I'm going to somehow in the midst of the chaos work everything for good. Rest in this. Rest in my power. Rest in my wisdom. Rest in my love. You see, this morning, would you give me your eyes for a moment, church? I believe that God has called us to know him. And one of the ways in which we know him is to rest in him. You see, when we're going through something, when the chaos surrounds, and we cannot find rest, I would say, draw closer to God. Become more acquainted with him. Cuddle in closer and find rest, find peace. Now, for the second week in a row, we're pulling our topic from a text that the Apostle Peter wrote to the Christian. He was concerned, you guys remember, that Christians enter into a knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I think it's important real quick this morning before we dive into this, this topic, this subject, I think it's important that I warn you that a desire for knowledge without a desire for God can be a dangerous combination. I'm going to repeat that for you guys Real quickly this morning, I think it's important to warn you that a desire for knowledge without a desire for God can be a dangerous combination. You see, our desire to grow in knowledge should be rooted in a desire to know God, to know Him closely, to know Him intimately. 
Not a desire so that I can know great spiritual doctrine, great spiritual truth. You see, knowledge is not so that I can win biblical battles. That's not why I grow in knowledge. Knowledge is not so that I can flex, that I have a better understanding of doctrine over the other Christians on social media. Growing in knowledge is not so that I can show off how many Bible verses I've committed to memory or how many I can keep in context. You see, biblical knowledge and getting to know God is not so that I can gain a bigger following or so that I can somehow be called to a larger ministry or that I can step into a bigger pulpit. One of the motivations for people in gaining this knowledge it's possible that it has nothing to do with getting to know God himself. It's possible that the desire and the hunger for knowledge can be something and you can separate it from actually becoming intimate with the Lord. We need to make sure that our desire, that our hunger, that our passion for the deeper things of God is not rooted outside of truly getting to know him. I've talked to you guys before about my conversation a few months ago with someone who told me that they were the fist of the body of Christ. And so I was in a conversation with someone and, you know, you typically, when you hear about us being parts or members of the body of Christ, you know, we always hear that we're the hands of the body of Christ, right? We're reaching out to people. Or some of us are the feet of the body of Christ, taking the good news, running with the good news, and having a desire to share it with people. Sometimes we hear, okay, well, I'm the heart of the body of Christ because I have such compassion for people out in this world. Well, in my conversation with someone, they told me that they were the fist of the body of Christ, that God has called them to go around and make sure that everything is in line that everybody has perfect doctrine. So they wander the church. They go outside their church, and, and they're constantly blasting people because they're called to be the fist. The fist. I was thinking about this, and I'll be honest with you, the conversations that I've had with this person, I don't really perceive that they're a fist. And talking with them and seeing the way that they live and, and their desire for knowledge, but really lacking from, at least my, from my point of view, a desire to know God, I sense that they're more the rear end of the body of Christ. I sense that they're more the armpit of the body of Christ. And let, let me tell you why. The thing, when I'm around them, I don't get the fragrance of Christ. You see, when I talk to the fists within the body of Christ, there's actually a stench. It smells like dirty underwear. It smells like someone just let out something that just is completely disgusting. You, you ever, you're ever around a smell and you're just like, man, wh wh what do you do? When there's a scent, when there's a stench, it makes you want to pull away, doesn't it? It makes you want to back up. It makes you not want to be in conversation with that type of person. You see, I believe that we need to make sure that our desire for knowledge 
isn't so that we can win biblical debates or so that we can go around smacking people with how smart we are about God's word. You see, this morning, my prayer is that we would grow in knowledge, that we would grow in our knowledge of God, that we would grow in our knowledge of Scripture, that we would grow in our knowledge of doctrine, of theology, but not so that we can win debates, so that we can, so that we, not so that we can go around and smack people with our intellect, but I pray that we would grow in our knowledge, grow in our theology, grow in our doctrine, grow in God's word so that we could be more in love with him. Amen? That's my prayer. All right, here's some words this morning. Let's dig a little bit into some of the words that we have in our text here in 2 Peter. The first word that I want to focus on for a moment is the word grow. That, that's what we're talking about. That's the theme of our series. It says there in verse 2 that we are to grow in knowledge. If you're taking notes this morning, this word grow in the Greek literally speaks of enlarging or increasing. And so the heart behind our series, the heart behind what we're doing is that we would be enlarged, that our minds, that our hearts would be enlarged by something, that something would increase in our life. Specifically this morning, the second word I want to focus on for just a moment, the area that we're looking at, that we're tackling and desiring to grow in, is knowledge. This word knowledge in the Greek, it's the, it's the Greek word epikonosis, which literally speaks of knowledge that recognizes and thoroughly becomes acquainted with someone. I'm going to repeat that. This word knowledge in the Greek speaks of knowledge that recognizes and thoroughly becomes acquainted with someone. So in the most practical sense, growing or increasing in my knowledge of God does two things. There, there, there's two things. There's two things that should be happening when I'm growing in knowledge. Number one, I should be growing in my recognition of God. And number two, I should become thoroughly acquainted with God. Those are the motivations. If you go into the original language, that's the definition of growing in knowledge. Growing in my recognition of God and become thoroughly acquainted with God. Now let's develop this a little further this morning by breaking it down into these two main points. And this is where we're going to stay this morning. This is what we are going to focus on. So number one, if you're taking notes, the first point, the first direction that we're going to head this morning is number one, we want to grow and know God to the point where I truly recognize his voice. We want to grow and know God to the point where I truly recognize his voice. Would you turn with me over to 1 Samuel chapter 3? We're going to spend some time here this morning breaking down, chewing on this text. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Growing and knowing God to the point where I truly recognize his voice. 
In the Old Testament, there's this story here in 1 Samuel chapter 3 where the Lord was trying to speak to Samuel, yet Samuel wasn't recognizing the voice of the Lord. Would you start with me in verse 4, 1 Samuel chapter 3, begin with me in verse 4. It says, then the Lord called Samuel. So the Lord is trying to, attempting to speak to Samuel. It says, Samuel answered, here am I. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, go back down, lie down. So he went and lay down. It's important to note that Samuel did hear a voice. There was a voice speaking to Samuel. There was a voice calling, Samuel, Samuel. And yet Samuel thought that the voice belonged to Eli. He did not recognize that the voice belonged to the Lord. Keep reading with me, verse 6. It says, again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. And so a second time, the Lord calls out to Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. Where is Samuel, by the way? I'm just kidding. Samuel. And Sam got up. And he went to Eli the second time. He said, here I am. Did you call? And Eli said, no, I, I didn't call. Go back and lay down. It's interesting that Samuel is confusing the voices. The Lord is speaking, but he thinks it's someone else. I think it's important that as we get to know God, one of the reasons why we should desire to know God or have a knowledge of God is so that when God calls, that when God speaks, we're able to discern that it's his voice and not another voice. Keep reading with me, verse 7. It says, Now Samuel did not know yet the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The word know here, in verse 7 in the Hebrew, it literally speaks of recognizing or knowing because of personal experience. So what it says here, essentially, go back to verse 7, it says, Now Samuel did not know, Samuel did not recognize, or Samuel did not have personal experience with the Lord. So when God called him, when God was screaming or shouting to him, Samuel, because there was no personal experience, because there was no recognition that this is the voice of the Lord, Samuel confused it for someone else's voice. You could translate verse 7 to say Samuel did not yet recognize the Lord. Or Samuel did not know the Lord through personal experience. There are two ways to know someone or know something. The first way to know someone or something is through factual information. Factual information. 
Those of you that were teenagers in the 80s, you studied things through something called an encyclopedia, right? That's where you gathered your information. Fast forward 20, 25 years, all of a sudden, now you get to know things through something called Google, right? You just go in, you type it in, and you gather sometimes factual information. Now you come to today, it's even easier. There's one specific website you go to if you want somewhat factual information. You go on Wikipedia, right? I mean, and you go and everything, all the facts, all the information is laid out before you. And then if you want to get a little creepy, you can stalk people, somewhat get to know them through social media. This sort of knowledge is based solely on facts and information that you gather. But there's no personal relationship. The second way that you get to know someone or something is through personal experience, through spending time with someone. Let me give you an example. In baseball, since we're in L.A., I can't stand the team, I'm not a fan, but most of you are probably Dodger fans. And so everyone here is probably going to recognize the name Clayton Kershaw, right? Well, check this out. There's two ways that a person can know Clayton Kershaw. You can either know Clayton Kershaw through Clayton Kershaw's Topps baseball card, right? You collect the card, you flip it over, and all the information's there. You know that he grew up in Texas. The back of the card tells you how tall he is, how much he weighs. The back of the card might even tell you how many 21 seasons he's had, too. It might tell you that back in 2014, he was the MVP of the National League. It'll tell you he's won the Cy Young three times. Man, and I'm not even a Dodger fan. It'll also tell you that he's been an eight-time All-Star in the National League. I mean, you go, you flip over the card... And there's the information. There's the stats. There's the stuff. And it would be accurate for some of us to say, I know Clayton Kershaw. One MVP, eight hours. I mean, and you could spit the information. By the way, all I did was go on baseball reference last night and get all that information and memorize it to impress you guys. Okay, so listen. I have knowledge of Clayton Kershaw. But it doesn't mean, listen, that I know Clayton Kershaw. You see, for me to know Kershaw would mean that I was at his house last month for dinner. For me to know Kershaw would mean that, man, last winter during the offseason, him and I and our families, we went to Aspen and we went skiing. To know Clayton Kershaw would mean, man, he texted me happy birthday on March 29th which some of you didn't, by the way. Anyway, I'm just kidding. Listen, to know Clayton Kershaw would mean that he knows that my daughter Chloe is about to graduate high school and he sends her a nice, expensive graduation gift. I mean, whatever it is, if I had a relationship with Clayton Kershaw through personal experience, you would be able to tell. And I might even be a Dodger fan. I mean, if I knew Clayton Kershaw. Let me give you guys another example real quick this morning. Some of you have heard me share this illustration before, but a few years ago, I was watching TV, and there was a commercial for Disneyland. 
And the commercial said something to the effect of, come and experience Disney. Now, let's say that you live in Nebraska, and you can't afford to travel to either California or Florida to experience Disney. You see, without traveling to California, without traveling to Florida, without stepping into Disneyland or stepping foot onto Disney World, there is only so much that you can experience about Disney by reading about it online. There's only so many YouTube videos sitting there in Nebraska that you can watch to try and experience Disney. To truly experience Disney, like the commercial says, I have to go and personally experience Disney. I have to go and step foot onto downtown Disney. I have to walk by the carts. I have to smell the kettle corn, right? I mean, how many guys like that smell, right? As you're making your way through toward the park, there's that scent in the air. And it doesn't, sound, and it doesn't smell like the rear end of the body of Christ either. Listen, the scent of kettle corn. Or how about this one? When you go to California Adventure and you're on Soarin' Over California and you're sitting there, you know that part, I don't know if they changed the ride, but you know that part where they spray you with a little bit of orange scent? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You just get that little whiff of orange. You see, I can, I, I can YouTube Soarin' Over California, but I won't get the scent. I don't get to experience the scent of the kettle corn and I don't get to experience the frustration of standing in line for three hours to get on a ride either. But, but there's all these things that you personally experience by being there. It's one thing to say, I know Disney because I watch the videos online. And it's another thing to say, I know Disney because I've been on the Jungle Cruise and I've seen the backside of water. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's two totally different things. I, I still laugh every time I hear that joke on the Jungle Cruise. Or how about the one where he says, we're about to go down the Nile River, and if you don't believe me, you're in denial. Okay, I know I, I, it still gets me every time. But anyways, listen, you can't get it without personal experience. My prayer is that we would experience knowing God on a personal and intimate level, not a I know facts and information about God level. Go, go back with me to verse 8. 1 Samuel chapter 3, go back to verse 8. It says, the third time the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli said, or Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. And so if you haven't caught on what's going on here, Eli finally figures out what's going on. Samuel keeps coming and said, Eli, did you call me? Finally, it clicks to Eli, God's calling him. God is trying to speak to him. So he says, Eli, or Samuel, go back, lay down. And next time you hear that voice, I want you to respond like this. I want you to respond to the voice and say, speak, 
Lord, for your servant is listening. Finish with me, verse 10. It says, the Lord came and stood there. So now we're talking about the fourth time. Calling as all the other times, Samuel, Samuel. So for the fourth time, the Lord is speaking to Samuel. He's trying to get Samuel to recognize his voice. Samuel, Samuel. Finish verse 10 with me. It says, then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. I love Eli. I love Eli. Eli was just this great spiritual leader. Why? Because he was pointing Samuel to the voice of God. He was saying, hey, let me teach you. Let me show you how to hear, how to recognize God's voice. Listen, church, let's grow in our knowledge and in our recognition of God and his voice. Because we have something that Samuel did not. In fact, they're in your hands, whether it's through electronic or, or, or piece of paper, we have in our hands this morning the complete Bible. We have the inspired word of God. What's sitting before us and what we have before us is ready. It's ready for us to read. It's ready for us to study. It's ready for us to chew and to meditate upon. We have the word of God before us. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says that all scripture... What's in front of us, what we're holding, is, is God-breathed. It's inspired by him. And that it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I want to read to you guys 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, but in the J.B. Phillips translation. I love the way it reads. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching the faith and correcting error. Listen to this, for resetting the direction of a man's life and training him in good living. My pastor, Steve Mays, used to say these words, if you want to hear God's voice, just read the Bible out loud. That is God speaking to you. You see, it's so simple. Some of us are waiting like, I'm waiting. You know, we're waiting for a Samuel experience. We're, we're laying in bed. God, speak for your servant is listening, but we won't open the pages. You want to hear God's voice? Read his word out loud. That's God's voice speaking to us. Let me say one more thing before we move on. In Revelations chapters 2 and 3, Jesus was speaking to the churches there in Asia Minor. And each, to each church, he wrote to them. Some of them he wrote a word of um, accommodation. Others he wrote a word of correction. And as he was writing to each of the churches, you guys remember he concluded with these words. To each church he said this, Let him who hears hear what the Spirit is speaking to the church. 
give me your eyes for a moment. When we come to church, when we gather as a family, I pray that we would hear what the Spirit has to say to us. You see, I believe that everything we have before us is the inspired Word of God, and every time we teach it, the Holy Spirit is wanting to show us things. Yesterday, my wife, Christina, she read something or heard something from David Guzik that was just so good. Some of you guys maybe saw it on our social media page. But David Guzik said something to the effect of every time we come to church, every time it's Saturday night, every time we're laying out the clothes, every time we're talking about what time we're going to leave in the morning, all of it is in preparation for this. It's all in preparation for this. In fact, we we don't hit the clubs because we want to be prepared for this. We're not out doing crazy things at 3 in the morning because we want to be prepared for this. You see, everything we do, even preparing of our kids, should be, man, I'm preparing myself because I want to hear what the Spirit says to the church. I want to hear the Word of God read out loud so I can hear the voice of the Lord. And so the Spirit speaks to the church. The Word of God out loud speaking to the church. Us alone in our quiet time with the Lord is Him speaking, His voice speaking to us. Before we finish this first point this morning, let me say this. Part of knowing God or growing and knowing God is recognizing His voice. Now, let me throw this out there to you guys before we get to number two. How many of us this morning recognize the voice of God when God is speaking, when the Spirit of God is speaking, when Jesus is speaking to the church? How many of us recognize the voice of God? Or how many of us God is speaking and we're like, oh, Eli, Eli, uh, I mean, what is it? God's speaking, and we're like, "Uh, Eli, was that you? No, no, no. God is speaking. God is speaking. Number two this morning, our second point that we want to focus on, number two, if you're taking notes, would you write this down? We want to grow and know God to the point of being fully acquainted with him. We want to grow and know God to the point of being fully acquainted acquainted with him. Let me say it like this. I want to know God, and I want to recognize what God sounds like. And I want to recognize what his word teaches. And I want to recognize also what doesn't sound like God and what God's word doesn't teach. There's a lot of voices out there. There are a lot of voices out there. Some of you guys know I coach my son's little league team. Won a championship in the first year, by the way. Anyways, listen, I coach my son's little league team. This season we're 0-3. But anyways, I coach my son's little league team. 
And one of the things that we teach our catchers and our base runners specifically is to recognize the voice or the voices of the coaches on the team. If you were to go to one of the games, one of the things you know, one of the things you see is that it's really loud. There's umpires on the field, there's other players on the field, there's other coaches in the opposite dugout, and there's tons of parents outside the fence. There's lots of voices everywhere. And so when our catcher's behind the plate, and that ball gets past the catcher, and that runner on base is running from first to second, there's a lot of voices screaming at our catcher what he's supposed to do. Run, grab the ball. Run, throw the ball. Run, eat the ball. Eat it means don't throw. Don't throw to second base. But how does our catcher know which voice to listen to? You see, in one of our very first practices, we yell at him. And so we have three coaches, and we're there, and I'm like, do you recognize my voice? And then the other coach is like, this is my voice. And then we have a little 19-year-old DJ, this is my voice. Okay, and, and, so, and so we're going, and it's like, listen, there's going to be a hundred voices yelling at you, telling you what to do when that ball gets past you. But there's only three voices I want you to recognize, and I want you to discern which ones are ours. I tell my base runners the same thing. When you're on base, you're going to hear a lot of voices. If you're on first base, that first baseman is going to be telling, go, go, go. But no, 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 no. Listen to your first base coach's voice. Your mom, I, I even tell my kids, for those two hours, even your mama's voice doesn't matter. Because mama's out there, doesn't know baseball, like, score a touchdown. I mean, come on, stop talking, mom, okay? Listen. When you're on the field, there are only three voices that matter. When it comes to God's word, there's only one voice that matters. It's the voice of God. Why do we teach our kids this in baseball? Because we want to point them toward winning. We want to point them toward scoring. Why do we teach this when it comes to God's word, because we want to point Christians towards godliness. Because all the other voices, they're not, they don't want you to win. Half of the voices screaming are from the parents on the other team trying to get you run down and tagged out. In the same way in Christianity, there's one voice that matters. And all the other screaming voices are trying to contradict the voice that matters. Would you write this first down? First Timothy chapter one, or I'm sorry, first I'm sorry, Titus chapter one, verse one. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. And so Paul in his intro to Titus, he says, I'm writing to you, and specifically when it comes to speaking on the subject of, of knowledge and truth, he says that knowledge of the truth leads to godliness. 
knowledge of the truth leads to godly living. Let me say this. When God speaks to me through his word, when God speaks by his spirit, or when someone's standing behind a pulpit speaking the word of God, the voice of God should always be pointing me to live for God. That's how I discern if it's a right voice. If it's a voice pointing me away from God, if it's a, if it's a voice pointing me away from biblical truth, then that's not God's voice. That's not the Spirit of God speaking through a pastor, teacher, or preacher. We need to make sure that we're careful. We need to make sure that we become fully acquainted with God. Because then we're able to discern what sounds like God, what doesn't sound like God. We're able to become fully acquainted with man. That's right on. And we're, we can become fully acquainted like, man, that's off. That's off. And I'll tell you, there are a lot of, there's a lot of teaching out there right now that is off. And the only way to recognize it is to become fully acquainted with the Lord. Fully in. To know him personally. To know him intimately. More and more, we need to be careful as Christians on what we feed ourselves. What we take in. Some of us feast on websites that do not support biblical beliefs, and yet we still feast on it. Some of us feast on self-help material and teaching that does not support biblical beliefs, and yet we soak it in and take it in and digest it. Some of us indoctrinate ourselves in studies that contradict biblical beliefs, and yet we continue to read the books and continue to Google the studies. Some of us even plant ourselves in movements rather than figure out if the message of the movement lines up with my biblical belief. There's a lot of movements right now. There's a lot of people standing for a lot of different things, and we need to make sure that the message of the movement, the message of whatever it is that I'm standing for, lines up with my biblical beliefs. We're almost done this morning. Some of you guys may recognize the name William Booth. William Booth was a Methodist preacher and the, found, the founder of the Salvation Army. If you're Brazilian, you probably really know William Booth, right? Some of you guys don't know that joke, but Alex got me. Around the turn of the 19th century, I want you guys to listen to what William Booth wrote about what he saw ahead for Christianity in the 19th century. He wrote these words. He says, The chief danger that confronts the coming century, the 19th century, will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. He saw the direction that Christianity was heading right around the turn of the century. And he says, this is not good. 
the teaching is not good. The gospel is being watered down. Christ is being removed from the message. Repentance. Every, there's cheap forgiveness without repentance. This is not going in a good direction. And let me say this this morning as we've now turned into a whole another century, a whole 120 years later, it's just getting worse. The message is continuing to be watered down. Christ is, continu- is, is continually being pulled out of Christianity. Church, we need to make sure that we're careful. We need to learn. We need to grow in our knowledge of the scriptures. We need to grow in our knowledge of the Lord. We need to grow in our knowledge of Christ. We need to grow. Because if not, we're going to get swept away into something that looks like Christianity. But it's not true, authentic Christianity. We're going to get pulled into something that looks kind of biblical but has a form of godliness, but no power. We need to make sure that we're not getting swept away. We need to become fully acquainted with God. We need to become fully acquainted with his word so that we're not swept away. Let's finish in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Would you turn with me there? Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, As we close, the Apostle Paul warns of unhealthy doctrine. And he warns of unhealthy teaching. And he talks about the dangers of jumping into this unhealthy teaching and being swept away by it. In Ephesians chapter 4, let's start in verse 11 to get some context. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And so according to verse 11 and 12, God is strategically placed within the body of Christ, within a church setting, those who are prophets, evangelists, pastors, Bible teachers. And the reason why he's placed people within the church with specific callings is so that the body of Christ There at the end of verse 12, underline it, circle it, highlight it, do whatever you need to do to it, so that the body of Christ may be built up. In other words, so that the body of Christ will grow. So that will grow. In verse 13, it says, until we all reach unity in the faith, listen, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Here it is, verse 14. Why should we grow? Why is it important that we grow in knowing God? Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of, of people and their deceitful schemings, such as making up roles in the body of Christ like I'm a fist, 
I'm the guy that goes around removing specks from people's eyes, you know? I mean, with a big old log in my own. I'm the speck remover of the body. I mean, so there's this cunning teaching. There's these deceitful schemings. There's this unhealthy doctrine. Unhealthy defining of roles within the body of Christ. He says we need to grow in knowing God, know and recognizing his voice so that we're no longer tossed back and forth. So that when there's this new wind of teaching, I got something new for you guys. We're not drawn away by it. People are cunning, it says. People are crafty. They package it in a way that is very attractive. We need to make sure we're not deceived by it. Verse 15, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow. We will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. You guys can close your Bibles. We're done this morning. I said a lot. But if I can just bring it back, scale it down to one simple thing this morning, let me say it like this before I pray. So we're going to take all of this, funnel it down, in just one simple thing. Know God. Make your passion to know God. Make your passion to recognize His voice. Make your passion to know him intimately, to know him personally. There's a lot of people out there that have a lot of biblical information about him. And many don't know him. And that's the sad thing. It's the sad thing when someone knows so much about God and yet doesn't know him personally. And so read. Grow. Listen to solid, healthy, biblical teaching for the purpose of drawing closer to Him and knowing Him. Father, thank You for this morning. God, thank You for Your Word. Lord, thank You for this moment, this time that we have to be able to sit and in, and in a sense, hear what the Spirit says to the church. To hear what you want to say to your bride. And Lord, I pray this morning that our heart's desire would be to know you. Even the Apostle Paul, he said in Philippians, I want to know him. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ crucified. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Lord, may that be our prayer. We want to know you. We want to become acquainted with you. We want to recognize you. We want to hear from you. And so God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. 
I pray that in the midst of the teaching that there was something, at least one thing, that each of us can grab a hold of and hold on to and say, that was for me. That's what I needed to hear. And so, Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's all stand. Keep reading, keep studying, keep learning, keep growing, ultimately so that we can keep falling in love with him more and more. Amen? Let's worship.